Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of The Flight Stuff, the sexiest Alpha Flight podcast this side of the multiverse. I'm Liam O'Donnell, one of your amazing, sexy, charming hosts. I'm Adriana Gober, an average host. And I'm Doug Tilly, host extraordinaire. Ooh, I appreciate that. Uh, we're so glad you've joined us here for our uh, second part of our excursion outside the pages of Alpha Flight to check out, check in on the team as they appear in uh, other series, other books, um, other. Liam, things. it's like Rumspringa. Yeah, we're we're taking an adventure, and I gotta <laughs> say, much like Rumspringa, I feel like I have a hangover. So, <laughs> like some 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 experiences with Rumspringa, I'm ready to go back to the fold yeah, any moment. Now. I cannot wait. <laughs> Give me, take away my buttons or zippers or whatever it is. Um, before <laughs> before we uh, go any further, I think uh, it's very important to all of us to uh, say, uh, to acknowledge uh, Rucker Howard just recently passed away. And um, I know that we will miss him greatly. He uh, really was one of our great character actors um a lot of people have pointed out an incredible villain um but you know i liked him in a number of things where he wasn't a villain where he was uh you know any number of other things including one of my favorites is uh split second but uh yeah i I know y'all love love the rucker howard wanted to acknowledge how sad we are at his passing adriana what's your favorite rucker howard performance uh the hitcher yeah, I, I that 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 movie, you know, the the idea of a scary road movie uh from a distance doesn't really work for me, but it's it's so compelling and he's so compelling in it. Doug, how about you? Rucker Howard favorite performance? Now, the answer for me is also The Hitcher, but I'm going to throw it out because like you Liam, when I was a kid or or even uh, in my early teens, I thought of Rucker Howard more as a good guy actor. It wasn't until later that I uh, watched The Hitcher, but the movie I wanted to shout out was Blind Fury, the yes. basically American attempt to make a Zatoichi type uh film and I think it's a lot of fun. It's really worthwhile and Rucker Howard is really charming and jovial and really I mean it's just a fun movie all around really uh if if you are used to him in his villainous roles it's one worth seeking out yeah and uh he just for me was such a presence that when you saw him in things even smaller roles it just always brought me a little bit of joy um and and you could definitely argue that all of his performances probably leaned more towards the chaotic whether that was chaotic good or chaotic evil um but uh i just think he he really brought um a lot to his performances and did a lot of good in the world. So he'll be missed. Um, we wanted to make sure we, we acknowledge that. We also wanted to uh, acknowledge, we got another comment from uh, our man E. Gubbins. Uh, who wants to read this enlightening uh, comment from him uh, on our episode number 12, I believe? I'll read it. E. Gubbins says, Another great discussion as always. There's something else weird about issue number 27 that you guys didn't mention. It's about the search for a new body for Walter. In a previous episode, you guys have correctly pointed out that Box suggested, not subtly, that the reason he's looking for a new body for Walter is so Walter and Aurora can resume their physical relationship. But instead of looking for a human body on Earth, Box goes looking for an alien body in another dimension. Why? Because, he says, that's where Sasquatch's body originally came from. And in fact, 
When Box finds a monster in space, spoiler, the Hulk, he's confident that this is exactly what they're looking for. So clearly, they're looking for a replacement not for Walter's body, but for Sasquatch's. And it's extra weird, given that the reason they're looking is basically to satisfy Aurora's needs. So apparently, Aurora had a physical relationship with Sasquatch that was even more important to her than her physical relationship with Walter? It makes you wonder if Byrne is the secret progenitor of this Bigfoot subgenre of self-published erotica that would take root in Amazon.com's dark corners decades later. My reading of this is only further confirmed on page 7 of issue number 27, when Aurora, seeing only a silhouette of this alien, which could have tentacles for eyes as far as she knows, she even refers to it as this creature, Gives a gleeful thumbs up to becoming its new girlfriend, whatever it is, like she just hit the jackpot on some interdimensional match.com. So weird. Thanks for letting me get this off my chest. I love your podcast. It's great. Well, thanks, E. Gubbins. I, I personally was very tickled by this comment. I'm going to take some, uh, I'm not going to um, contradict what um, uh, Mr. Gubbins has said here. I think it's really interesting, and I think there might be some real truth to what he's saying. But I do think that there's one other layer that I don't think we refer to, nor is it referred to in this, which is that Sasquatch is specifically looking for a body that's going to allow him to remain in Alpha Flight. It's something he refers to specifically in the issue that we're going to talk about today, which could explain why Box is looking, you know, for something that's kind of hulking uh, with the idea that, uh, like Gubbin says, that, that it's a replacement for the Sasquatch form because he still wants to be a contributing member to the, the team. Uh, and maybe the, the, the sexual component and its attractiveness to Aurora might just be a, a side benefit. I mean, you can say that if you want, Doug, but A, a no one reading Alpha Flight has escaped the question, does Aurora have sex with Sasquatch? That was on your mind. There's no way it wasn't on your mind. And if you tell me that you never asked yourself that question, I don't believe you. You're a liar. You're just repressed. We all know you asked yourself that question. However, what our man Gubbins here has really brought to the fore is how creepy it is that Box makes this like, oh, you got to get your body back so you can get the old sexin' on. Um, I, I, yeah, it is very possible that no one writing this was thinking, oh man, Aurora only has sex with monsters. I, that might not have been on their minds, <laughs> but you only have to think a little bit to get to that place because we had that uncomfortable, seemingly out of character scene. I mean, who knows? Maybe into the future, we'll get more creepy scenes of box saying sexually suggestive things to people, <laughs> but I don't think so. I think it was just a weird choice to make. Uh, and that's why, because of then subsequent decisions in the plot, we have to assume that Aurora only has sex with monsters. There's no other way to go with this, you know? Uh, I mean, there is an extension to this idea, which is um, if Box is so interested or has so much uh, connection with Sasquatch and Aurora's sex life, how interesting is it that Walter has been transferred into basically Box's own body, or at least the body that he created, uh, but that she finds it so horrid? I wonder if he might see that as a rejection of himself, uh, and that's all the more reason to get uh, Walter into a body that Aurora finds more sexually satisfying. Oh my gosh, I don't know. The the various uh, underlying subconscious needs to bone in this comic have already been an issue we've talked on <laughs> in a number of ways, so... Uh... Anyways. And this isn't even Claremont writing. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, 
the real point here is that we love this. Someone <laughs> listened to the show and had a thought, and the thought was fun. So, hey, if you listen to the show and you have some thoughts and those thoughts are fun, you should leave us a comment. And if it's even close to as funny as what this is, then we might read it on the show. Um, so this uh, episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the Secret Wars 2 crossover event, uh, as well as uh, an issue of The Incredible Hulk. Um, issue, sorry, issue number 313 of The Incredible Hulk. Um, but we, just a reminder for folks listening, you know, Secret Wars comes in around Alpha Flight number 28, which we covered. Um, the remaining Omega Flight members who are, uh, on the run the last issue are crowd by Madison Jeffries. Meanwhile, the Alpha Flight team deals with the return of Talisman, who beyond are freed in Secret Wars 2, number 4. So, um, you know, Alpha Flight really just makes a quick cameo in this. But, you know, it seemed like such a big crossover that I personally assumed would have impact on the Marvel Universe into the future. Uh, we'll have a comment about that later, uh, that it seemed worth covering the whole series. Uh, now that we've finished the whole run, I'm a little skeptical if we needed to cover the whole series. Adriana, what do you think? <laughs> I know we didn't have to cover the whole series. I'm, I did, I'm not even skeptical. I, it's... <laughs> I mean, this is kind of a charged topic for for me, I suppose, because I I just do not like these big company wide crossover events, and every so often there will be one, you know, I find appealing for whatever reason. Reason, but when Wolfman and Perez did Crisis on Infinite Earths, it was a really well constructed and compelling story. But beyond that. It instigated a paradigm shift within DC Comics with major and lasting implications. Um, but, you know, in the years since, more and more the, these these crossover events have basically just become disruptive gimmicks to sell more comics. And, and you can paint them however you want, but when it comes down to it, that, that really seems to be their primary function. And so, you know, you might be really enjoying the current, the current storylines in whatever, you know, four or five monthly comics uh, you've been reading, but now you know this major event comes in and throws a wrench into the works and and, and interrupts those storylines, and so now you have to buy a bunch of extra comics just to stay up to speed with the with these characters. And I mean, I guess now with the internet, you can just read about what happened or or download them illegally. But for the Wednesday Warriors among us who who really want to support the creators, but who may be financially challenged, it, it's a real bummer. And uh, it's just all these extra hoops to jump through that just makes it difficult for me to get invested at all. And uh, with Secret Wars 2, that's not really the case because I obviously this was not we're not reading it as it was being published. So it's it was a lot easier to access. But my problem with Secret Wars 2, I mean, I have I have several problems, but my major problem with Secret Wars 2 is that I don't think the central story with the Beyonder makes enough of an impact or is interesting enough to really justify having a nine-month-long event centered around it with, what, like 33 tie-in issues? That's insane. (laughs) And, you know, at least... uh, Let me think of, like, a big... So, you guys remember House of M? Sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, House of M, it was super polarizing, but at least... It was centered on core characters and had a had major ramifications for the entire Marvel universe. Like Secret Wars two, 
and and maybe I'm missing something. And I and I'm sure some of our listeners could email or tweet at me and tell me I'm wrong um, if they want to contest this point. But at the end of this all, it just doesn't seem like it made that much of a difference, um, especially compared to Crisis on Infinite Earth, which was its con- the the contemporaneous DC event. It just it seemed like what was even the point of all of this happening. Uh, that is a good question. That's Adriana with the, uh, negative on Secret Wars. Now we have Doug (laughs) Tilly with the positive. Doug, I know you love the Beyonder and all of his sexy cosmic adventures. Uh, you'd like to see him explore more human desires in more explicit ways, as well as turn into a baby again and not Mm -hmm. a baby again. Mm -hmm. You're just a big fan. Yeah. So talk a little bit about what it is about Secret Wars 2 that gets your little Canadian heart pumping. I'm glad I'm able to take this position, Liam, because I hate to think that we were being so negative about such an engaging crossover with such a wonderful character as the Beyonder. Uh, I mean, he really is a very interesting fellow <laughs> that I that I love to spend how many hours? Maybe five hours reading about. <laughs> uh, so this sucks. I mean, Secret Wars 2 is bad. I think everyone who knows about it already knows that. Um, I wouldn't call myself a big fan of the first Secret Wars, but at least it's really simple uh, conceptually, right? Which is just get all the good guys and all the bad guys and basically knock them together like uh, like you're playing with your action figures or something like that. And because I guess the criticism that people had was that that series was kind of dumb, Jim Shooter went, you know what? You want high concept? You want me to do something that's bigger and bolder? That's exactly what I'm going to do. And he made... He just took a big dump on all the different Marvel series that were running at the time. I mean, Adrian is 100% right. It's so unfair. And I mean, it does indeed continue to this day to just, you know, if you have a writer who's mapped out a storyline for a character or a group of characters to come at them halfway through or three quarters of the way through, or in our case, John Byrne's last issue of Alpha Flight, and to say, you've got to work this into your book. And, and and you might not even be able to work it in, into it in a big sense. Like, nothing important can happen, but we have to know that this occurred I mean, talk about just upending the ship and destroying that process of telling a story. I mean, I would say that in Alpha Flight, it's not like it's not upended that crucially. Uh, in fact, they do seem to try to ignore the Beyonder as soon as he leaves the issue that we talked about a couple of episodes ago. But I mean, it really this is sort of that 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 ground zero for these sort of events that, for the most part, I don't much care for. I mean, there are, are exceptions. I do think that some of the recent Marvel ones. Uh, that I have, have kind of tangentially been aware of and been reading. Uh, some of them have kind of birthed interesting sub-series based on some of the, the, the larger event that's going on. And, and I do find that, that sort of material interesting. But especially now with the, the fact that there are so many delays in a lot of this and it means that, that stories get pushed around and the chronology doesn't make a lot of sense. I will say it's a little bit easier in 2019 because there are services like Marvel Unlimited and the new DC one where you can at least go back a year and start reading from there and be able to catch up on all the side stories and still be able to support the creators. But uh, yeah, if I had to in 1985 by 33 other issues where the Beyonder shows up for like five panels just to say, Hey, I'm the Beyonder. I can do anything. Poof. Your problem is solved. I would feel pretty cheated by that. I mean, look, I don't appreciate uh, Adriana's comparison to uh, crisis on infinite earth because I don't like to acknowledge that DC exists, but, (laughs) uh, but I think her central point is very salient. 
about crossovers in general, but also about this one in particular. And I would make the case that even if crossovers are not a problem, even if crossovers are the best thing ever, let's say you're someone who loves crossovers. Maybe your only exposure to crossovers was Executioner's Song, and for some reason you loved it, and now you think crossovers are great. Don't matter, because this is, for me, in my reading of crossover events, the worst case scenario. I don't (laughs) think I've read one of these things, which is already a thing I'm not sure is a good idea. I don't think I've read one that was as bad as this. This is possibly the worst one. And it's not just the fact that it is a giant, as we keep pointing out, 33 tie-in issues to nine main issue event. Um, It's that, uh, A, um, it doesn't read, it doesn't flow well. No. B, it's not clear. So uh, just so you all understand, uh, we haven't really talked about what happens, uh, and we can give a very uh, basic overview here. Uh, Liam, since it's all centered on the Beyonder, maybe just explain right. who that character is. So in the first Secret Wars, the Beyonder is sort of the sentient uh, universe who becomes aware of the multiverse and creates a scenario where the uh, heroes are fighting the villains so that he, or I guess there's no gender at the time, they can come to understand human desire. Uh, In Secret Wars 2, having survived uh, the events of Secret Wars 1, um, the Beyonder, the the one who is from beyond becomes essentially the Beyonder, uh, becoming a human, or uh, basically human being in our multiverse uh to sort of try to understand the multiverse to understand life to understand desire and mortality and all those things and so um it's sort of like a like a a goofy madcap thing kind of like the jerk but uh with no jokes of any kind um or at least no funny ones uh and uh and he just walks around being like i have all the power in the world i don't understand anything um and you know uh there are plenty of scenarios where that could be amusing and somehow they managed to like suck the life out of every scenario they put him in, whether that's his brief period as a crime Lord. And then he becomes the master of all existence. And then he tries to seduce dazzler for some reason. (laughs) Then uh, he uh, tries to become a hero and then he tries to, uh, give other people a reason to live, and then he just goes wild with it for a while. Is depressed and tries to destroy everyone, and then uh, apparently makes a machine and turn himself into a kid. I didn't really quite understand <laughs> that part. That all started to get a little complicated towards the end there. But uh, he he goes on a bunch of madcap adventures, and there are nine main issues, is what we're talking about here. But all of these adventures spill out into all these other issues as well, such that the main nine issues are almost entirely incoherent to each other. In fact, I had to double check multiple times that Doug had not screwed up what I was looking at here because I was like, this doesn't make any sense. But of course, it's because there's multiple <laughs> other issues in between where he's being talking to Doctor Strange and he's fighting Puma for some freaking reason. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, and, and I had read... He's killing the new mutants yeah, entirely. Yeah. I had read a little bit, you know, th- there's a, there's a, uh, there's one issue of this that I was familiar with part of, and that was where he, uh, interacts with Boomer. I think that showed up in a compendium, one of these, like, X-Men big books, 
uh, takes from Secret Wars that section and puts it in there. And uh, 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 Boom 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 is in it. And um, I have a little bit of affection for Boom Boom as a character. Uh, sure. She's not great, but she's fine. Uh, but I, 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 I don't know. I kind of like her from that era. And so that section, I was like, oh, it's kind of fun. He's, you know, they all want to fight him. They can't fight him because he's so tough. That seems cool, I guess, whatever. Um, but the, all that is to say the story isn't really the focus here. The idea is that in each of these scenarios, um, the Beyonder is allowing the writer to engage these larger ideas about what is desire, what matters, what is control, what is the, right. and, uh, and, you know, I felt like, wow, this guy's clearly read some Nietzsche and Deleuze, and he's really working out some real deep metaphysics here. Right, Adriana? Like, there's some real thick stuff here. <laughs> you, you really found yourself engaging with some tough philosophical concepts, right? I'll say that I, 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 I can certainly see that that was what he was attempting to do. <laughs> I mean, that 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 concept of someone completely unfamiliar with earth or our universe or whatever coming to the planet with no kind of background, but very curious about us as humanity and then trying to experience it. I mean, that's something that has played out in all sorts of fiction and in films that we've seen again and again and again. And that can be, you know, a, a really interesting perspective to take, but, 100%. but, but I mean, and, and the fact that each one of these issues, even though you're right, Liam, they don't read together as a co coherent whole, that that some of the issues I actually liked a lot of them. Like I, I thought were were interesting. Like when he when he decides to kind of take on the excess of the eighties and he's just blending things in the back of a limo and stuff like that. I found that sort of material kind of funny uh, and interesting, even if the commentary that it's trying to make doesn't really hold together very well. I like the whole section where he's being kind of mentored by like the, the the criminal boss and what he gets from that and how he he enters into that world. Again, none of it plays out in a really satisfactory way because even when he makes himself god of the entire world and everyone bends their knee to him there doesn't seem to be any lasting impact to any of that so it's it's just this kind of centralized thing that even though it touches all of these other comics in the run of secret wars secret wars number 2 Six months later, no one ever refers to it. The Beyonder is a character that's kind of seen as an embarrassment. I mean, his Jerry curls and his stupid costume. I mean, it, he really is an embarrassing. Uh, even at the time, was kind of an embarrassing character. It, it's just, it's it, it's kind of a sad uh, miniseries because it feels like it's trying to do something big, and all you can think of when you're reading it is how much it's failing. Yeah, it's. I mean. Again, I think you're right to point out, Doug, that this is a tradition in in a certain kinds of literature of this, you know, um, he's here to grog what's going on, you know, he's here yeah, to do exactly. you know, whatever to connect with us, blah, blah, blah. Um, the problem is the comic is uh, it's re revolving in my mind around three things that are sort of keeping it from getting anything interesting. One is um, it's trying to be funny a lot of times. And not succeeding for me. Um, I don't, I don't think the, uh, goofiness that is injected in helps the subject matter, especially when almost every philosophical issue that the Beyonder sort of getting to know and his desire and his uh, idea of understanding desire and mortality and all these things, it just always has to result in a big battle anyway, which like we've already established that he's invincible. So why do we have to keep creating scenarios where he's got to fight people or people try to fight him. It just seems ridiculous to a certain extent. 
Um, and then also, I I think that Shooter has an agenda, uh, and I think it's that's the Jim writer Shooter, of the, the, series, the writer of who, the whole series. Uh, just so you know, just to cover our thing here, Jim Shooter wrote most of it. Uh, a lot of the art is by, uh, or it looks like all the art is by Alan Milgram. Is that right? Yeah, he, he had different inkers, but he he did the art on the whole series. Um, and the the only thing that changes is the covers. There's a few different covers, I guess, or just that first one has a different cover. Yeah, just the first one has John Byrne and Terry. Uh, yeah, so it, it's mostly Alan Milgram, and I think Alan Milgram's a really talented artist, but you know he's not he's no George Perez. <laughs> so uh, the perspective here. So I've been trying to put my finger on it, and it's hard because the whole thing is sort of ideologically a mess. So it's hard to like figure out like where he's trying to go. But you know, it's telling that at a certain point, the you know the Beyonder's trying to connect with desire, right? He wants to find people, not even people. I say people, beings on Earth that have very extraordinary desires, and those desires set them apart, and they have unique power and ability, and they're just interesting humans uh, or beings. So you know, he finds this ancient. Uh, elf who wants to destroy Thor. He finds, um, you know, uh, the thing, and the thing's complicated. And, you know, Captain America, who has his deep desire. And, of course, understandably, Ronald Reagan and his deep desires for the tax code. <laughs> I don't think that's... There's a whole, I don't actually think that's there, meant to be funny. I meant that's... I think that's actually meant to be a real moment. And that... There's an issue that... Out. There's an issue that is, is entirely him becoming... The, the Beyonder becoming a guru and all these people basically worshipping him as as this kind of self-help type person. And that episode... That issue, you could take that out of the entire series and you would lose nothing. There's almost no forward movement of the story as a whole. It's just, again, Jim, Jim Shooter was very... He really did want to say something with this series. What he said is just kind of not that engaging or interesting. But Liam, I think we should talk about how this series intersects with Alpha Flight number 28 and how that works in the context of Secret War Wars 2 number 4. True, 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 true. So this is the one where he's trying to uh, seduce Dazzler, correct? Uh, yes, that's right. Because And so we- <laughs> he's decided he needs to earn something. He can't just make things. He can't just create whatever. He wants to earn something to give her. To like That's what makes it a better gift. And so he knows this is for those of you who've been listening to the show you know uh talisman gets trapped in um shaman's medicine pouch so the beyonder shows up saves her from the pouch and in exchange he's going to take what he wants from the bag uh the entire scene is it it feels designed to minimize the importance (laughs) and meaning of alpha flight they're just in the way he's like I get it. You guys are upset. You've just been betrayed. You don't want to listen to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I'll just, you know, push you guys around, get the bag, whatever. All I right, like how they get really angry at him, him, and they're going to attack him. And he's like, no, I understand why you would do that. It makes total sense. Anyway, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. Well, then they go, we have to talk. And he goes, only very quickly. Okay, <laughs> and bye. And then they never ask a question or anything. He just leaves. <laughs> see, see, that actually I did find kind of funny. But the reason for him being in the issue is so dumb and so ridiculous, and that it's forgotten so quickly once he returns back. It, it I almost found it more amusing because of it. Oh, if only because it made me feel like I was wasting even more of my time for reading this. It's just like it's a perfect example of how stupid these like editorially mandated like 
crossover situations are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially, you know, I mean, so it's a perfect encapsulation, too, of how annoying a character the Beyonder is. Byrne has been establishing this this medicine pouch as being this vortex of, you know, mystical forces, which no mind can comprehend. Mm-hmm. But we got to show the Beyonder just he's just looking through it, trying to find a ring, which, by the way, he discards. What is that ring? What is that about? Why do you have to go in the bag to get the ring? What is going on right now? And it never gets explained. So, uh, Liam, I think we should explain that in a little yeah, more sure, detail. Sure. So like you said, right? I mean, he's trying to woo Dazzler. He wants to make an effort for her. So he travels to, to, to specifically to the medicine bag. And uh, as an exchange for him just reaching in and taking whatever he wants, he makes the bag large enough that Talisman can just walk out of it. And then he pulls out a ring. And you're right. Then he's like, we're like, what is this ring? It must be something super special if it came out of that bag. He goes back. Dazzler's like, I'm not interested. So he just tosses it on the ground. And I guess it's supposed to sort of uh, represent the fact that that even something that's really meaningful and substantial to like some of the superheroes we encounter, to him, it's not worth anything. But in the context of reading it, especially for us, because we're so engaged and, and interested in Alpha Flight, it looks like the biggest slap in the face. Well, I just imagine, too, you know, I'm sure writers get precious about their characters. And so to have, you know, Mr. Shooter be like, so the whole thesis of this character is whatever characters you guys made up, whoever they are, even the ones that are basically the embodiment of the whole universe, he doesn't care about them. He's better than them. He's uh he's bigger and tougher than all of them. Yeah. No, the actual universe. He's he's better than that guy. You know, like it it, it seems it honestly is not a great I mean, I get it allows him to explore these other ideas, but I just feel like I would just want that to happen away from my comic. Like, oh, okay, no sure. kidding. You do that over there. I got to do my thing over here, and that's not how it works. Everybody, everyone's got to be in this thing. There's got to be sure. By the way, also, um, the fact it's also inconsistent how many times the Avengers try to attack him and then go or not. I guess we don't have <laughs> let's get him oh, or, or not it's fine like they just can't make their it's like at the end of multiple issues they're like well I guess he he's not gonna leave I'm sure we'll see him again and then at some point they just show up and go we gotta get him oh there go. I guess we'll see him we'll see him again soon what is going on right now I don't I can't I can't with this <laughs> um it's uh, this might be a bad comparison Liam but in professional wrestling, sometimes when you want to get a wrestler over, meaning very popular, you put him over other wrestlers, right? You you basically they beat yeah, th- those other wrestlers, right? And they treat them like a jabronis, right? They're, they're jobbers, so they'll just run over them, beat them in a second. It makes them look bad, but the idea is that the person who's beating them is going to look so good that it kind of evens out the impact of making those other people look You're weak. You're talking about Hulk However, in this career. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a good example. But there's there's lots of people who have had that experience, right? But in this case, the idea is you're trying to get the beyonder. You want him to look like the coolest, most powerful being in the universe that everyone is into. But you're left with this hollow feeling because he is so powerful that nobody can touch him. And that goes right to the end, right until the very last issue where he basically, and we've been waiting for this scene, like literally throughout all nine issues. And the last one's a double length one just to make it all the more painful. He's like... I have to make myself mortal. So he builds a making me mortal machine, which turns him into a baby. Liam, and then what happens? They kill the baby. They kill the baby, Liam. (laughs) I mean, there's so much this series. This is one, I I guess what I was trying to get at before, and I want to know what you both think about this, is that 
this series has both some of the corniest head slapping dumb dad jokes I've seen in a comic in a long time, but it also has uh, multiple suicides, uh, betrayal, um, uh, you know, the the devil, uh, you know, someone <laughs> literally like leaving their life mate, uh, and then you know the the uh, one of the other most powerful beings in the in the universe <laughs> making the last time minute game decision to murder a baby. Uh, it seems like a weird combo of themes and tones on this. <laughs> oh, it's all over the place, Liam. I just got reminded of the fact. So my favorite character in Secret Wars 2, and one of my favorite characters generally, is Molecule Man. And he's actually, I think, he comes off pretty well in this series. Yeah. They really put over how powerful he is generally. But there's a part in this where his girlfriend, <laughs> to save his life, she like... Basically calls him worthless and breaks up with him and says that she never was interested in him. The idea is to devastate him so completely and leave him so sad and defeated that the Beyonder sees him as too pathetic to kill. And it totally works. Yeah. Oh, and she comes off like, that's a real, that was a good plan. That was a real good plan. Worked like like a charm. That was real good that she did that. Oh man, Doug! You've already mentioned one. Is there another thing you want to lift up as one thing about this series that you thought was pretty good? Was actually kind of fun that you appreciated. You, you've been a little more positive, but is there one you specifically want to say like this was really good? I I actually thought that almost every issue had at least a couple of moments where I was like, oh, that's kind of cute or that's kind of amusing. I, like I didn't hate it all the way through. It's more the con- concept. That I thought was really frustrating and the fact that it was just so ponderous. But like if I had to pick out a moment, it would be when the Beyonder learns how to take a dump in Spider-Man's apartment. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't a dump. I was trying Look, to I, figure it out. I was trying to discern if it was I, a number one or number two situation. I mean, a number two is always funnier, so it has to be number two. Fair. But I mean, it's like that sort of thing where like, you know, so, some a creature that doesn't know anything about humanity suddenly has to experience the difficulties of being human, like getting hungry and tired and that sort of thing. Look, I'm a sucker for that sort of thing. I'm a sucker for that Star Trek episode where Q becomes human. It's it's just one of those things I enjoy. Uh, that said, I'm glad they didn't stick with that for the full nine uh, issues, though maybe in some ways that would have been more interesting than what we got. Well, before we move on, I, I do want to say, as we've pointed out already, uh, Alan Milgram does the art. Uh, you know, Doug said, you know, he's he's pretty good, I guess. Uh, was there any <laughs> was there any art moments that stood out to y'all where you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I see, this is cool, uh, or, or or things that you felt like uh, were particularly interesting that happened art wise? I'll go to you first, Doug. Uh, it's difficult when you have a comic where you have so many superheroes and there's the, there are these mass battle scenes where you see all of these characters on uh, on panel at once. And if you're used to, and again, I don't want to keep going back to Crisis at Infinite Earths, but it is a contemporary of this uh, series. When you're used to the quality in that series, here it just doesn't cut it. When when there is a lot of characters within Secret Wars 2, you see that there's a lack of detail on a lot of them. I, I mean, you can pick out who's who, but that they don't seem iconic in the way that in a big series like this, one that, that is supposed to be kind of all-encompassing, you would hope that everyone looks as good as they can possibly look. Um, but here, I mean, it's difficult, right? I mean, to uh, Milgram's credit, he got this out monthly. He got it, you know, th- these are 
uh, nine issues out in nine months. But in order to do that with this level of detail and with a double-sized last issue, you got to cut some corners. And you can kind of get the impression as you're reading it that that corners have been cut here. I mean, it's still a very attractive series. It's still, you know, the, the action makes sense as you go through it. But it's uh, it, there's very little to blow you away, even in comparison to Secret Wars 1. Well, after the uh, near torture it was to discuss Secret Wars 2, <laughs> let's go ahead and jump on into Incredible Hulk number 313 from November 1985, cover by Mike. Now, okay, Doug, mm-hmm. Adriana, mm-hmm. you're true comic people while everyone on the show knows I'm a poser. How do we say the creator of Hellboy's last name? Mignola. Mignola. So this cover is by Mike Mignola uh, and the... And the Issue was penciled by Mike Mignola, and it was written by Bill Mantlo, a gentleman whose work we will become familiar with in future episodes since he's taken over over at Alpha Flight. Yeah, actually, uh, Liam, this entire creative team are the creative team taking over Alpha Flight, so it makes a lot of sense for us to be diving into this now. Oh, I didn't realize. Okay, okay, I didn't realize that was uh, Mignola on more than a few issues. I thought it was just a couple, but cool. That's good to know. Um, Yeah. So, Doug, uh, what happens in this issue of Incredible Hulk, and why are we covering it on the flight stuff? Well, we already know a little bit of what happens since it does cross over with an issue that we already read. And of course, this is from November 1985. It is, you know, fortuitous that we're covering this right now. It, it's all going to lead up to the next issue of Alpha Flight on the next episode of this show. But this story is called Hook, Line, and Sinker. Uh, so there's a lot to unpack here. So the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk, he's been banished to a sort of cosmic purgatory called the Crossroads in the hopes that he's going to find peace in one of the worlds that that the Crossroads leads to. Uh, Bruce Banner, he's reunited in the Hulk, but uh, he's obsessed with killing himself. There's a beam of energy that hurtles out of nowhere. It embeds in the Hulk's back, and he's not happy about that at all. He's sort of being tethered, and he's uh, he's very annoyed by it. So he's trying to detach this energy harpoon, and the Hulk goes from portal to portal, exploring other worlds, but the tether remains, uh, even when people within those portals themselves try to detach it. It leads to Hulk demanding those responsible show themselves. Suddenly, Bruce Banner's spirit is shoved out of the Hulk. I was very amused at how much belief in the human soul <laughs> exists in these comics. Bruce Banner is shoved out of the Hulk and uh, is replaced by Banner's university buddy, buddy Walter Langowski, who, uh, who we should be very familiar with. Langowski tells Spirit Banner everything he's experienced lately, uh, finding out his Sasquatch form was a great beast, uh, being dead, being put in a giant robot body, all that stuff. Not realizing Banner wants to die, Walter refuses to take the Hulk body from him uh, because he thinks of him as being so noble, and he ends up leaving the creature, and Banner gets sucked back in. The issue itself ends with Hulk being pulled from the crossroads into the Alpha Flight headquarters, and with that, we know he's not very happy. The story will continue with Alpha Flight number 29. Thanks, Doug. Uh, This is... Interesting to cover considering the transition it makes into uh, where we're going to be at in Alpha Flight. But I want to start with the the cover of this issue. Uh, Adriana, what do you think of this cover uh, by renowned artist Mike Mignola? It's a very Mignola-esque cover. Just a lot of sort of grotesque monster-like beings in a battle scene. And I mean, I don't... So I'm not super familiar with the Incredible Hulk. So I can't really say how this cover stacks up to previous covers 
But I don't know. If I saw it on the shelf, I'd be I'd be into it. I hear that. I hear that. Doug, what do you think about this cover? I really like it. It's not really representative of what's inside. I mean, something no. like this kind of happens within there. I mean, it does show the tether in uh, the Hulk's back, and it shows him in sort of a weird world being attacked by little muscular creatures. And so, you know, it, in an in an issue that's that 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 is this strange, it would be hard to have a single image that would be fully representative of what's going on. But it is interesting that there's no even hint at an Alpha Flight connection that's happening here. It's a very, very separate from the plot itself. But with that said, I love the action in it. I love the presentation of the Hulk with him gripping into the ground uh, to, to keep from being pulled away. There's a there's a, a real sense of movement in all sorts of different directions happening here, both push and pull. And I really like that. It you know really makes great use of the space. And I'm a huge Mike Mignola fan. So um, while obviously uh, Burn... Uh, Burn's style is quite separate from certainly Mike Mignola's later style, but even from his style at this period, uh, I'm really looking forward to getting with Alpha Flight into a, an artist with a different take on some of these characters. I can definitely agree with that. I got to say, I'm mostly familiar with uh, Mignola's style on Hellboy. And, yeah, me uh, too. His later work and his early work to me are in a lot of ways, very different. Sure. Um, a lot of things in Hellboy feel um, interestingly angular. Um, and a lot of this issue, and probably Alpha Flight 2, though I don't honestly remember noticing it before, but maybe when I first read these issues, I, I wasn't familiar with his works. So I didn't notice it then. But it's certainly in this thing, there's a lot more curvature there's a lot more roundness uh and one of the things i've always noticed about hellboy is is how little round things there are like unless something is very much a round thing like a ball uh human bodies tend to have more angles than curves if that makes sense um and so uh it's kind of interesting to see this this art and think that it both reminds me of him but also doesn't at the same time but again i haven't read a lot of things he drew uh, other than Hellboy, if that makes sense, you know. Sure. I, I only know a few things, so you know, I I bet his art has really gone through a, a transition or a tra- uh, evolution that I ha- I'm unfamiliar with. Um, I mean, even his work that's not Hellboy related, his later work from that time period, it it all takes on that style that you're referring to. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it, it's interesting to see him work in a more traditional comic style, simply because what he developed that Hellboy. Uh, character and the comics around it became his trademark to such an extent it's almost hard to believe that he ever drew like this but if you look at something like Gotham by Gaslight which is another comic that I really like by Mike Mignola I mean that totally has those uh, Hellboy angular trademarks you're talking about sure 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 so um, here we are in Incredible Hulk a book that I, I don't know how familiar any of us are with and this one Sort of strange issue, and uh, Adrian, I want to start with you. Did this hit you as sort of like a, a breath of fresh air after uh, Secret Wars, or were you feeling kind of lost? How, how, how did this issue read for you, knowing that you are as unfamiliar with Incredible Hulk as I am? I mean, this this issue is pretty tethered to what was going on in Alpha Flight, so I didn't feel lost. Good, good. It was definitely more engaging than Secret Wars, Um for me, anyway. And uh, I don't know. I kind of like the trippiness of it. Uh, the fact that so much of the issue yeah. takes place in some strange dimension out of time. Yeah, I don't often think of the Hulk 
and this is probably my fault. I'm not saying this is accurate, but I don't often think of the Hawk as a cosmic sort of comic. Since no, neither a- do I. So it was sort of mm. it was different um, from what I was expecting, but in a good way. Agreed. Um, Doug, what do you I don't know how familiar I think you're not a huge Hulk person, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, how, how did you uh, engage with this issue? What did you think about it? You know, it's interesting. The first comic I ever remember reading is an Incredible Hulk comic. It's actually, of all things, uh, it's it's the Batman versus the Incredible Hulk, the one that's drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, which I think has some of the most incredible comic book art I've ever seen. And I returned to it a few years ago, and I'm like, that's not just my memory. The art in that book is unbelievable. And and my vision, when I close my eyes, of what the Hulk looks like, it's it's been completely defined by that book. That said, I really like how the Hulk is, is presented here. Uh, he does have that kind of like that muscular elasticity to him where he, sure. yeah so so but but he's really presented as i mean a lot of of what makes the hulk special is the fact that you have to really capture that rage and i think that that's done very very well with uh with mignola's art but aside from that in the plot proper what I like most about it is that it's really an excuse. And maybe this is the Doctor Strange influence because we find out, of course, that Doctor Strange has brought him to this crossroads location. And you get that cro- that Doctor Strange trippiness in the visuals. And Mignolas feels like he's really kind of going hog wild on, you know, doing as many wacky backgrounds and, and crazy creatures that he can possibly do. And, I, hey, that I'm cool with that. There's a part where they just show a tree with a bunch of arms coming out of it pointing in different directions uh and you know it is interesting that it, it does get a little cosmic but and like the part with like the robots that he, he encounters this one strange world where these robots are analyzing him and that sort of thing you know you get kind of kirby-ish in some of the locations but then it gets kind of fantasy-ish uh, elsewhere in kind of a non-kirby way i really like it it's it's really diverse and it is not hard to really catch up on what's going on plot wise they do kind of introduce it at the beginning but i mean as you could tell from my plot summary not a lot really happens here it's just the hulk being confused going from place to place having this tether and then it eventually leads to walter entering the body i do think that that aspect of the hulk character uh at this time and they, they've played into this a few times in comics i've read where Bruce Banner is suicidal, but he can't kill himself. I think uh, there's a, a pretty famous comic where, you know, well, in fact, I guess they even, they, they mentioned this in the Avengers where he put a, a bullet in his mouth and, and the, the Hulk spit it out, that sort of thing. But I mean, I, that's such a weirdly essential, but very dark part of this character. And uh, it's interesting that it's something that's played into in this particular issue. You really got to feel bad for Bruce Banner, but I mean, he is the eternally put upon character. Yeah, I, I, um, I intellectually know that a uh, part of the Hulk uh, sort of story over time has been the suffering of Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner is almost like science Jesus, you know, who uh, made this mistake and now he pays the price for all time. And I like, I know that that's true, but like, I haven't read a lot of the Hulk, so I haven't encountered it as much. And I was really struck by how much of this issue was just about exploring how he felt and about his angst and and the trouble sure. they're in. And I was really surprised by that, but it was also, it, there wasn't as much of it as there could have been. It wasn't like overwhelming, but there was enough there that I really w- was kind of touched by it a little bit. And again, I'm sure if you're a Hulk reader, that's an old 
hat. You might as well write about Wolverine's <laughs> berserker side. You know, like it's something that everyone has probably done. But as a, as someone who isn't as familiar reading the Hulk, it was really nice. Actually, I really liked that aspect of of the story. Um, and and I you know and just in general, I agree with with y'all that it it was it was cool because it connects to what we're about to read with Alpha Flight anyway, but it was fun also just to have sort of this weird I like the idea, and and I wish I knew if they did more of this, of the Hulk as a cosmic character, because on one hand, he's got no magic or uh, beams to shoot or whatever, He's he's, he's just big dude. On the other hand, he's also indestructible, so he could go into all manner of weird dimensions and other things that might break other explorers he would just smash and there's something about that i kind of like and i kind of would like to read more of uh and maybe it's out there and i'm just unaware of it but i i I found that kind of interesting um i could be wrong but i think that current uh immortal hulk run by al ewing sort of deals uh in that realm a bit but i actually haven't read it i've just read about it and seen screenshots of, of of panels and such so oh, I, I could be completely wrong, but that's just the impression that I've gotten. And also uh, Sasquatch and Puck are uh, in that book as well. Hey. Oh, I got to check it out then. <laughs> you, you know, uh, Liam, the, the run of Incredible Hulk I always think about, and I've only read a bit of it, is Peter David's run, which doesn't come till later in the 1980s. But my understanding is that this storyline that we're in right now with the Hulk uh, is where it's first revealed that uh, Bruce Banner had like some abuse in his history, and it the the multiple personalities that Peter David explores with like the Gray Hulk and things like that. It's actually the seeds for that are being planted in the previous issue to this one, and that that would basically strongly influence that Peter David uh, piece afterwards. I mean, I, I that's a character, the Incredible Hulk, that has had a lot of really cool, interesting runs, and it really is one that I should explore in more detail. I mean, here's the thing. I understand why. I don't know if about y'all, but I understand why I haven't. It's one of the longest running comic books in in the house. <laughs> it's hard to know where to jump in. Yeah, you know, and and where where do you start? Like for me, uh, with you know my the book that I spent a lot of my time when I was still reading superhero comics primarily was the X Men. Well, I kind of it, it it was hard, but it wasn't that hard to decide. This is where I want to start, and I'm going to go from here. You know what I mean? It's it feels difficult to know how to do that with a book as large and with such a history as the Hulk, especially now where I've missed a good decade of Marvel storytelling anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I, 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 it would be interesting. Maybe it's worth jumping into um, any other uh, things you guys want to point out plot wise before we talk about the art when it comes to this issue of uh, the incredible Hulk. I, I do want to say that even though this does kind of play into the art a little bit, the final page where we finally see the Hulk from basically the other perspective from the last issue of Alpha Flight that we covered um, with the Hulk entering into the Alpha Flight um, headquarters. And you get to see all those characters on the screen. I had a weird tinge of, I don't know what the emotion would be, not nostalgia, but certainly kind of a weird happiness of kind of seeing the team together again. I know we haven't sure. been away from them for too long, yeah. but also maybe seeing them in a slightly different form, again, drawn by somebody else and seeing this huge, hugely important part of the Marvel universe. I mean, really a defining element in the Incredible Hulk. This It's heading into the world of Alpha Flight and it kind of just made it seem a little more substantial. I, maybe that's a funny way of putting it, but it made me really excited to see where that's actually going to go uh, and and to see 
what this new writer and this new artist is going to bring to Alpha Flight. No, I think I think that's totally fair. And uh, I found this issue interesting in that we already sort of saw this happen from a different perspective. So seeing it all from the Hulk's perspective, right down to that moment that you just described where he kind of steps through the, th- the threshold and sees um, all of Alpha Flight there. I just, I'm a sucker for like stories where we see the same thing happened, but from different perspectives. No, I think that makes a lot of sense that the seeing it from that other way. I think for me, it also um, reading that Alpha Flight issue where the Hulk shows up the, for the first time when I first read it, it felt so random that I almost felt like maybe this isn't happening in the Hulk. Does that make sense? Like yeah. it was so unexpected and so right. not what I was thinking right, right, that right. I remember reading it as a, uh, I think I read it, uh, in in my late teens, early twenties, because I fa- finally found it, and I thought, I wonder if this even happened in the Hulk. Like, I wonder if they just pulled the Hulk in, but like it has nothing to do with what's going on in the Hulk. You know what I mean? Like, it felt that out of nowhere. <laughs> so, reading this issue, suddenly, sure, it had context, and honestly, it made me appreciate that story point so much more. It wasn't like a random like MacGuffin or a random you know Deus Ex whatever. It's like. No, no, no. This is connected to what's happening in the Hulk, one of the more important books in the Marvel Universe. And like it suddenly felt more fluid, if that makes sense. And uh, and I really appreciate that. I really enjoyed that aspect of it being like, oh, okay, now I kind of understand what I'm about to know more about it. You know, I don't know. So, yeah, that that. I mean, there is there just just speaking to that. I mean, there is kind of a nice this doesn't happen that often where a creative team swaps with another creative right. team, which is kind of what's happening right. here, right? My understanding is John Byrne is going to continue off with Incredible Hulk. So, you know, you mentioned, uh, Liam, about the idea of, like, where to start with Incredible Hulk. It seems like this is a very good transitionary period, both to join Alpha Flight or the Incredible Hulk, since they're, you know, th- this this issue, number 313, is sort of, uh, it, even though it's kind of spinning its wheels and then leading into something else, it's basically sure. inviting you to to be like, hey, you like this? Join us over in Alpha Flight. You like Alpha Flight? Join us over at the Incredible Hulk, which is, you know, a nice kind of a thing that doesn't, you know, it, it feels a lot more natural than the way that the Beyonder was just kind of trampling <laughs> yeah, all of the stories. Yeah, and I didn't have here. that information before. So now it kind of also makes sense, like, that we're trading the teams the same way that the, that the or the creative teams the same way that the comics are invading each other. I didn't have that context. So for me, I was, it, it just felt like a weird bump in the road. Like, here's the Hulk. See you, Hulk. And then we just move on with our lives. And that was like a weird thing for the time. <laughs> and now it kind of ma- makes it make sense a little bit. Um, let's talk a little bit. I mean, we've done it, but I just, and I liked a lot of the context. Uh, Adriana, what did you think? Was was there anything that stood out to you as particularly engaging about the art in this issue? I loved all of the, the creature designs. He does a good job of making each place the Hulk uh, visits seem like its own unique space. It creates a, a certain amount of variety without it. It doesn't feel like utterly random. You know, he's not showing up in a space that's like, just feels like a joke or a caricature. It's like each of them is its own thing, but there's like a fun variety to it. I, I really appreciated that about it. Um, Doug, was there anything that stood out to you other than what you've mentioned that you want to highlight? I mean, there's so much, right? This is a very dense issue in terms of its art. Uh, and there's a lot to appreciate. But oddly, I just keep going back to the presentation of the Hulk himself. He, he's such a visually 
uh, striking character, you know, and not, not just because of his, his body, but even like the color scheme, how he, how, you know, it, it, one of the, the real triumphs of him as a character is that it doesn't matter what sort of background you put him in. He's always the center of attention. You're always looking directly at him. And I love that, like how consistent the model is that they have here. There is a really distinct part where he just screams, Hulk wants to know. And there's like this big close up, very monstrous close up. Good teeth on the Incredible Hulk, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I really like it. I think that that Mignola really I guess monsters are kind of his thing when you think about it. It'd be interesting to see see him and I'm sure he has in some capacity in some context him use his his more modern style on a Hulk type comic and and seeing how he would present it. But, you know, working in a more traditional comic book style, um and even Burnsian in some ways. I mean, he really nails it. I I love the pres- I love how the Hulk looks in his art style. There's a lot of moments. Um, uh, we've talked about how Burn represents action, right? Uh, there's a lot of moments as the Hulk is being pulled through these various worlds and things where, um, not that the Hulk isn't doing action, but it's almost like a brief pause before he gets pulled again, or he's reaching for the tether, or there's this scene um, right after the robots where he's in what looks like a medieval world with elves, and he's just like yelling. <laughs> there's all, all these representations of each scenario. It, it's not just the design of the scenario, which I do really love, as Adriana pointed out, but also like just how the Hulk is reacting in each scene. There's just something about it that feels so good. Uh, I, there's, yeah, there's, and it never feels repetitive either. Right. When he when he is in the river and he's reaching towards his back, trying to get it off of him, and then the next shot... Mm-hmm. Or the next shot, the next panel, he's surrounded. He's being enveloped by tentacles, and he's trying to pull the tentacles off of him. And then the next one, he's hitting the tether. It's basically a, a, a laser beam, and he's hitting it with a rock. And that detail alone, on just that page, I was like, God, Manuel is brilliant. He's a brilliant artist, and I really appreciated what he was doing here. I think, um, I think, um, young me wouldn't have understood his style like uh uh on the second page there's this awesome sort of design of uh it it actually reminds me of something you might see in sandman where banner yes i know exactly is at the bottom there about, whatever yeah. um and i will tell you straight up when i was I, I actually first encountered sandman as a kid uh and i hated it and it was only <laughs> after college i went back and read sandman and, and loved it and loved the art as well as the writing uh i would i think when i was young i would not have liked this art it is at times more emotional and interpretive than representative you know if that makes sense yeah and it has less clean lines than other art did at the time and i think while i really appreciate that now when i was young for some reason that bothered me um and looking at it now like the way that uh the Hulk's midsection looks like there's too many muscles on top of each other. Like it looks like he has some sort of like cancer as opposed to he's built. I love it. It, it, It's so good. I love it now. But as a kid, I would have been like, it looks wrong. It's wrong. As if the point, there was some part of me, even I was reading ridiculous people like Liefeld who couldn't draw a foot to save his life. There was something about the cleanliness of it that felt more real. Whereas this, didn't and now looking at this i'm like this is great this is some of the best art uh i've seen in a while so anyway not to to ram on too much about this but uh but uh i very much appreciate it on this go around 
Liam, one other thing about the plot proper, just a quick a- addendum. Yeah. Uh, Walter sucks. He, he still sucks. sucks. <laughs> Look at him being such an idiot. <laughs> Banner is... I mean, he's ruining Bruce Banner's life. Bruce just wants him to take the Hulk's body, live his life, have a great time. And he's like, oh, dude, no, so sorry. I'm out of here. It's like, have a conversation, Walter. All Literally, all you have is time. He literally doesn't listen to what Bruce Banner is saying to him. He just is like, I respect you so much, Bruce. I have to leave. And Bruce is like, that's not what I said. Oh, God. Yeah. Poor Bruce is like pouring his heart out and Walter just does not care. I really hope Walter just is at this point lost in the void, tortured by forces outside of his control. <laughs> He's just the worst. All right. I'm 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 ready to wrap up. Anything else you guys want to say about this issue other than reminding us that Langowski sucks? I mean, uh, uh, only that it just makes me excited to return back to what this podcast is all about. The wonderful series about the Canadian superheroes, Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight. We'll see how long that lasts. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. We'll see. We're really going to test Doug on some of these issues. On our next episode, we'll be covering Alpha Flight numbers 29 and 30. So read ahead. Be prepared. So you can listen to us right away. And you can agree or disagree or tweet mean things at us. Whatever it is. We're ready. <laughs> Speaking of which, if uh, if Adriana, if people want to tweet at us about how great we are or how much Doug sucks, uh, where would they find us on Twitter? Uh, they can find us at Flight Stuff Pod. I love that. That's great. And what if they want to shoot us an email? Uh, they can drop us a line at flightstuffpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, as always, you can also find all of our episodes as well as a bunch of other podcasts at cinepunks.com. Go ahead and check it out. If you're interested in us personally, you can follow Doug on Twitter, if you want. Doug, what's your Twitter thing, I guess? Thanks, Liam. It's at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And, you know, Liam, you can follow you on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. That sounds like a bad idea. But, uh, Adriana, <laughs> what sounds like a good idea is following you on Twitter. What What's your Twitter handle again? At E-A-D-X-B-B. I love that. I love it. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, thank you for giving us a little bit of your time. Check out all the other uh, shows on Cinepunks. And go ahead and throw Cinepunks a follow. They're on all the social medias. Boo. As as Cinepunks. <laughs> just C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. And don't listen to anything <laughs> Doug says. He's Canadian. He doesn't count. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love Canadians. I just don't love Doug Tilly. Uh, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, well, uh, thanks again for listening. Flight Stuff. Ow.